Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. What's fascinating about some of this stuff, if you just take a second just to think through it, you're like, I go back to the Gospels and I remember Jesus dying on the cross. And I remember the darkness that happened there. Three hours. Three hours. As God's wrath is being poured out onto him because he took mankind's, humanity's sin upon himself to be the substitution death for us, to be the perfect sacrifice for us. There's a lot of evil in this world. And a lot of people wonder or ask or even demand from God, why do you let that happen? Well, today, Pastor James shows us that God doesn't ignore evil. He has everything completely under control. And you can be assured that in the end, his justice will prevail. But what about your own wrongdoings? Is God going to punish you for everything that you've done that's evil? Well, absolutely not. There's a price to be paid for your evil, but God has given Jesus to pay it in your place. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken. We need hope for the hopeless, give some hope to the hopeless, hopeless. Bread for the broken, broken. Yes, God, yes, your punishments are true and just. Or you could say it like this, you are absolutely right in doing this. God, this is fair. This is fair. The fourth angel pours out his bowl on the sun. Now it's the sun that gets affected, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire, with its heat, tremendous heat wave. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who sent all these plagues. And what? And they did not repent or give him glory. Now, technically, um, I know the New Living Translation kind of words this a little bit differently, but this isn't the first time that this phrase is kind of even mentioned, even within this chapter. The idea here is after, like, each bowl is being poured out, it's like, well, you want to repent? You know, this is what's crazy. This is what's had my mind kind of all jumbled up as I've been studying through this is like, the ones who have this mark of the beast, because they're the ones getting affected by all this stuff, just even the notion or even that it's mentioned that they did not repent. And it doesn't necessarily mean that could they have repented? Is it too late for them and all this stuff? That's what I've been wrestling through this whole week. It's like, man, Lord, so you put that in there. Would they have had a chance to repent? Like, if they did repent and they have the mark of the beast, like, does that mean they can be saved? Or not? Or is this just signifying the fact that their hatred towards God is so extreme that even in the midst of all this craziness, this suffering, you're seeing angels, we don't know exactly how, but we saw this last week as we were looking through this, they're flying through the atmosphere shouting out the gospel, they're proclaiming the gospel the whole time. And this stuff is being poured out that, man, people hate you so much that even in the midst of all this stuff, they just don't even want you at all. Would there have been an opportunity for them to repent? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Because I know there's like an unpardonable sin. But there's only one unpardonable sin. That is rejecting Jesus. That is rejecting Jesus all the way to your grave. But why can't that be forgiven? Because they don't want to be forgiven. Because they don't want the forgiveness. 
Is that what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, I think this is just indicating the fact of where their hearts are at. Had there been an opportunity for them to stop and say, like, look, Lord, I know I got this mark on me, but I don't want this mark on me. I want your mark on me and all that. Would God have saved them? I would like to think, yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily what this is talking about. I think this is just magnifying to us the fact that even with all these things happening, their hearts are so hard that they're like cursing God. They're cursing him. That's what they say. It says they're blaspheming God, speaking curses against God the whole time. They did not repent. They're not going to give him glory. They're going to continue on. They're just going to continue on. Verse uh, 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Okay? So, well, let me tell you about the sun thing real fast, just so it's kind of in our brains. Um, is global warming a real thing? Yeah, it totally is. And it happens right here. Um, like, in an instant, like, whoo, the temperature gets raised. What does that mean? That means all those polar ice caps, gone. Gone. They're melted. That means any snow on any mountaintops and all that stuff, melted. That means that your oceans, the estimate, what everybody kind of agrees upon, the level or the height of the oceans could rise upwards of 200 feet. Adios, Houston. You're gone. Miami, New York, sorry, Louisiana, gone. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, like 10 feet, that thing's already, you know. Um, San Diego, LA, San Francisco, Tokyo, all those, any coastal cities, gone. The ocean levels raised 200 feet, my goodness. Not just coastal cities. I mean, you're talking about gone, adios, a lot of places. That's what happens when, you know, whatever gets poured onto the sun happens and the temperature goes up. There's no relief. You got boils and now you got sunburn, like bad sunburn, like third degree type sunburn. And there's no fleeing from it. There's no escape from it. Oh, but there might be some who have found shelter. There certainly is one, probably two, who are, as the entire world is suffering, now these individuals will be suffering too because there's no escaping the boils. There's no escaping that. But you do have an antichrist and you do have a false prophet who are probably hidden within a palace. And they probably have plenty of food reserves. They probably have enough water that's been stored away. And they also have probably an army that is protecting wherever this new Babylon has been built, okay? But I don't care how strong your walls are, you cannot escape the judgment of God. You can't. This next one is specifically for them. The fifth angel, verse 10. He poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects gnawed on their tongue in anguish. They cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores, but they refused to repent of all of their evil deeds. So is this a global thing? A lot of individuals, a lot of commentators, myself included, I think he sets up a new Babylon. I could very well be uh, built upon the old foundation of Babylon there on the Euphrates River. Um, that's probably where he establishes this new kingdom, so to speak. Well, I think that wherever they're at, it's just encased in darkness, like darkness, like almost tangible darkness. Have you ever been somewhere where it is so black 
like you can feel it. And it is eerie, and it is creepy, right? Go down into the caves. You can go to New Mexico, Carlsbad Caverns and all that stuff, and just go uh, splunking, I think is what they call that. I never will do that. I don't know why people do that, but I'm like, I'm not crawling in places where I feel like I'm going to get stuck. I'm not crawling into the earth, okay? I'm just not going to do that. I'll stay up on the surface. Thank you very much. Um, I don't want to be around darkness. Uh, but in these places where it's just so dark, you can feel it. What's fascinating about some of this stuff, if you just take a second just to think through it, you're like, I go back to the Gospels, and I remember Jesus dying on the cross. And I remember the darkness that happened there. Three hours. Three hours. As God's wrath is being poured out onto him because he took mankind's humanity's sin upon himself to be the substitution death for us, to be the perfect sacrifice for us. There was a point in time on that cross where it went dark. It was black, completely black. See, Jesus already endured this stuff. Now, not to this extreme. He didn't have the boils, but man, he had a lot of wounds on him. He had a lot of wounds on him. His back was, I mean, just completely ripped of almost all flesh. He knows what it's like to suffer. He already went through some of this stuff so that we wouldn't have to. You want to talk about thirsting, imagine being on a cross. And Jesus himself said, I thirst. He knows what this is like. And that's one way we need to read Revelation is in light of what Jesus has done for us. He's already paid the price. He's already paid the price. And when we say no to him, then we're rejecting what he has done on the cross. And we're saying, no, 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 no thanks, Jesus, but I'll handle it myself. Really, you want this because that's what you're saying. No thanks, Jesus, I got it. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, if people would, could just stop and look at this, even just logically, like, what is the plan? What's the end game for humanity? Their end game, as far as they can tell, and we'll see at the end of this chapter, is like, look, we can fight him. We can fight him. Really? You're going to fight the guy who's having angels pour out all this stuff on you, and it's not even the first experience you've had with them because it's been seven years of suffering, seven years of watching God bring justice to this world. And your idea is we'll survive, we'll come together, and we'll kill God. Good luck with that. That's ludicrous. But it's where they're at. Well, your heart is so hard. Your heart is so hard. We have examples like of this throughout Scripture, for sure. Um, we have Pharaoh. A lot of this is bringing us back to Egypt and the book of Exodus. And there was Pharaoh. Pharaoh went through all those plagues. And the end conclusion was like, you know what? Um, yeah, I could fight against God. I could probably take God. Why else are you chasing the children of Israel in the wilderness? You've already seen your river, the Nile River, turn to blood. You've already had frogs everywhere. You've had gnats everywhere. You've had the death of your firstborn child. And through pride and arrogance, he says, you know what? We can beat God. And it's through pride and arrogance that humanity will come together and say, you know what? This is bad, but I bet we can take them. <laughs> and it's like, come on. No, just come on. See that Jesus has already drank from this cup. 
Jesus has already drank from this cup. The sixth angel pours out his bowl, verse 12, on the great Euphrates River. And it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies westward without hindrance. This thing is uh, forever long. Um, I study and all this stuff. And I'll throw out some numbers. Don't take those as gospel at times, because sometimes I'm off, all right? So I think it's around 1,800 miles, OK? At least that's what I read. I could be wrong. Um, it's an impressive river. It is the great Euphrates River. And in biblical times, you had like the Great Euphrates River, and then you had the Nile River. Like those were the two major ones, right? Um, because geographically, even though our authors are inspired by the Holy Spirit, nobody's hopping over to Brazil or to South America and checking out that really long river, OK? So this is the Great Euphrates River. This thing was one of the four main rivers that flowed out of the Garden of Eden, OK? This is a tremendous river. This is a river that actually has a ton of water in it as well. And look, at it creates this natural like wall of defense, almost like this border type thing, where this angel is going to pour out its bowl onto this great river, and the whole thing is going to dry up. For a while there, people were having real issues with this, because they're like, how in the world could this great river dry up until some scientists came along? And there's some dams that have been built and all that stuff. And they came along and they said, you know what? We could dry up this river. We could dry up this river easily, you know, through engineering and all that stuff. So the, mankind has it figured out. But God's like, I don't need you guys. Um, I'm just going to have my angel pour out something on this river, and it's going to dry up. So you have Iran. It flows right through the middle of Iraq. And what we believe is uh, within there, in Iraq somewhere, it would be Babylon, OK? Some foundations of the old city of Babylon. Um, so the thought here behind this is, OK, so the Antichrist has his you know, place set up somewhere there along the Euphrates River. Well, number one, this thing's going to flood when all like everything melts, right? OK, because it is fed uh, from the mountains. But all that snow you know, and everything, that's going to all melt. Um, so not only are the ocean's going to rise when the sun gets affected, but these rivers are going to overflow as well. So if there is a capital or Babylon is there, well, it's going to be affected by that plague for sure. It's going to be affected by the plague of darkness for sure. But then the Euphrates River is going to dry up. Once it dries up, that creates the opportunity for those who are towards the east. So you have China. You have Japan. You have what some people believe, India, uh, probably for sure from Iran. Armies are going to gather together, and they're going to storm Israel. Israel, which I'll get off camera, so if you're watching, no worries. But like Israel, you know, New Jersey, it's a small nation. Why in the world would all these countries at this point in time, when it's like all this wrath is being poured out, why would they want to go against Israel? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, they're probably blaming all the Jews. This is a very anti-Semitic attack, for sure. So they're going to blame all the Jews because, well, it's their God who is causing all these problems, is what the world is going to say. There's some other things concerning Israel. There is a um, huge natural gas site right off the shores of Israel. Huge, multi-billions dollars that is represented by this natural gas. When supplies and resources are decimated all across the globe, if you're aware of some, you're going to go and get them. 
Now, I can tell you right now, there are a lot of countries that even today have their eye on Israel for the natural gases alone. So there was always going to be conflict with Israel. We know that. From the beginning, there was always going to be conflict with Israel, but even more so during this last time. And they will march. They will march across, and there's nothing to stop them. They will march across, and their target is Israel, and they will end up in the Valley of Megiddo, which is the perfect place to have a global war. Napoleon said that himself when he visited Israel. He looked over into the Valley of Megiddo, this Valley of Armageddon, okay? But the Megiddo, he looked over and he says, this is the perfect place to have a war. It is well suited for it. You can stand on the mountaintops there and you can look down into that valley and it's huge and it's wide and it's almost as if it was made for a battle. And these armies will converge because now the Euphrates River has been dried up. So there's nothing standing in their way. Nothing at all. But before you get there, I mean, it is a beautiful river. It's kind of like that. You know, obviously, as with all rivers, it can get narrow at some points, but then it gets pretty wide, too. But this is the beautiful Euphrates River. It's flowing right there in the Middle East. Beautiful river. Look at the green and all that stuff. All that water is going to be gone. It will be blood at one point in time, right? So we know that. It'll be blood. Then it'll flood. It'll overflow its banks. And then it'll completely dry up. It'll completely dry up. There you go. If you never get a chance to go and visit the Euphrates River, well, there's one image for you. That's what it looks like. It's beautiful. Who doesn't like a river? We're Texans. We love floating down the river, right? Float down the river. You got your cooler with you and your whatever else, and you're just floating down the river, okay? I'm sure other states like to do that as well. But bye-bye, Euphrates. It'll be gone. But it opens up like this highway, so to speak, for these armies to come against it. But before there, before you even get to that, you need a little bit of coercing, right? You need somebody to stir these guys up and get them together. This is where this next weird part comes in. It says, verse 13, I saw three evil spirits that look like frogs leap out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. These miracle-working demons, they have the ability to show signs and wonders, caused all the rulers of the world to gather for battle against the Lord, against the Lord, on that great judgment day of God Almighty. That great judgment day is what all your Old Testament prophets, for the most part, have been referencing, the day of the Lord, this great day of the Lord, this great judgment day of the Lord. Well, here it is. But you get these three demonic spirits, okay? They originate from Satan, from the Antichrist, and from the false prophet. And John describes them as they look like frogs, okay? Um, But they're just demons. They're demonic. They're kind of like those demon locusts, right? John's like, they look like this. They look creepy. They look weird. They come out from their mouths. There's, There's this influence that these guys have over these kings, this manipulation that's going on, where the kings of the world kind of get together. And who are all the kings that are represented here? You know what? I think you'd be safe to say probably all of them. Probably all of them. You're like, was this just like in the Orient? Or, you know, is this just like on this continent, this Asian continent, that's just their deal? It seems as though 
when it says to all the rulers of the world, it means all the rulers of the world. Could that include our great country of the United States of America? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It very well could be. We don't know. At this point in time, though, you have this one world government type thing, so which would mean that by and large, your nations are all on the same page together, okay? Um, and that includes from every continent. So from North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, uh, if there is anybody on Antarctica, those few scientists that live down there, if they're still there or not, maybe they get raptured out. But all these leaders kind of converge to like this one world kind of like governing thing, okay? We've already seen that represented through like the multiple horns and, and all that stuff. But they all kind of come together on the same page. And so, yeah, other nations are represented by these individuals because these plagues and this judgment is being poured out onto all of mankind, meaning that wherever the people live, if they are in rebellion against God or have rejected Jesus, they're all part of the team. And I'm sad to tell you that there will be Americans that will be a part of that team. You already know that. We already know that. The rulers will come together and listening to these other, well, these demons basically speaking to them, they'll come to this conclusion that, you know what? Things are really bad for us. And it seems like they might only get worse. And they would be right at making that assessment. So like, well, why don't we just kind of come together and fight against this? We can kind of come together and unite against God, which is just, again, history repeating itself all the way back into Genesis with the Tower of Babel. Humanity's like, hey, why don't we just come together and prove that we're stronger and better and smarter than God? Didn't work out for those guys. Definitely not going to work out for these guys. But that's just where they're at. So they could battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God Almighty. Verse 15, here's a little note of encouragement, not just for us, but for the people. It says, take note or look. I will come unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed, right? It's like, be aware, be watching, take heart, be steadfast, be immovable, stay with it, don't give up. What a word for the people that would be actively going through this time. That's a word that they would need to hear. So I don't know how that gets broadcast out to them or how it gets proclaimed out there to them, but this word comes to them. And this may be John just being like, man, like the Holy Spirit's inspiring to be like, hey, this is heavy. We're reading through this. And can you imagine John and the readers for him in that day? Because they were feeling like, we're already there, right? Like, we're living through this stuff is what they were thinking. And even at times, we're thinking the same thing where we're like, are we sure this isn't like Revelation? Are we sure? Like, did we miss something? So even if that is us, well, the same verse of the same word of encouragement applies to you and I. Take note, look out, be aware. I come as unexpectedly as a thief. Jesus is saying, hey, look, you better be aware. You better be alert. Be paying attention. Keep watching for me. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless. 
What we learn from Revelation and many other books of the Bible is a continuous journey. We appreciate our time with you here today on Bread for the Broken. Our host is Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas with Pastor James Grizzle. This ministry is dedicated to spreading the truth of the gospel through the study and reading of God's Word so that everyone can find hope and new life in Jesus Christ. If this has resonated with your soul, we'd encourage you not to ignore that. Would you reach out to us by visiting our webpage, breadforthebroken.com? We'd love to talk with you. You can get started by locating the contact tab at the top of the page and submitting an email that will be securely sent to us. Better yet, why not come and join us as we worship Jesus together? We're a laid-back, uncomplicated group of people, simply seeking to love like Jesus better than we have before. We'd be overjoyed to have you come. Just mark it on your calendar Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or Thursdays at 7 p.m. Take your pick or come to both. Understandably, not all of our listening audience is near Galveston, Texas, but we hope that you'll join us on our live stream so you don't miss out on any inspiring and challenging messages from Pastor James Grizzle. Make sure to visit breadforthebroken.com to learn more. Did the words you heard today make an impact on your day? Would you consider donating to this ministry? We're so thankful for your financial support. To get more information, go to breadforthebroken.com. That's all we have for today, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.